Hello and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia Baker-Whitelaw and here is my co-host, Morgan Davies. Hello. So this week we watched the 2012 French rom-com Populaire, directed by Régis Ronsard and set in 1959. It stars Deborah Francois and Romain Dury in a story about competitive speed typing, where a young woman is trained by her strict employer to become a typing champion. So thank you very much to our Patreon subscriber Eileen for requesting this. Neither of us had heard of this movie before. It's not like obscure, but it's kind of a, a mid-range French rom-com from a decade ago. So I'm not really surprised we've not heard of it. But it's definitely an intriguing one because first of all, competitive speed typing is a unique concept. Love that. And this movie is having a lot of fun with its 1950s pastiche references, which we will of course be discussing. And um, it's very light. A lot of the time we do some more serious movies and this is like, would you like to have a nice frothy film? The structure is kind of combining 1950s rom-coms with almost a sports movie, I would say, because it's mostly about her training to be a typing champion. I don't think almost is required in that sentence. I yes, think it I am, is full I am being sports too movie. judgmental yeah. toward the sport of speed typing, which is very much a sport narratively here. Yeah, oh, I mean, I'm not necessarily uh, endorsing speed typing as a sport in real life, but clearly the way the film is structured and set up, like, that's what it's pulling from in terms of influences along with these other mid-century movies, which is kind of the thing I found the most entertaining about the movie. I thought this movie was very entertaining as in terms of, like, quality. I thought it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, it did not blow my mind. But it was very fun, and... Obviously, what is appealing about it is the fact that it is referencing all of these other things, not necessarily in like a super deep way. But if you're someone who really likes movies and has seen a lot of these sort of older films and not even necessarily that old, like <laughs> sports montages happen in movies all the time now. This film right? loves a montage. Yeah, you you can get a lot sort of a pleasure from the way it's sort of cribbing things together. But um, why don't we give a little bit of a plot summary, well, a little bit more of an in-depth plot summary before we get further into the movie. Yes. So the main character is Rose, who is a young woman who is from a small town in France and she lives with her widowed father, who's this sort of grumpy guy who wants her to marry a local village boy and settle down. But she is ambitious because it is the late 1950s and she wants to become a secretary. She teaches herself to touch type on a typewriter. At this point, I really thought the film was going to be more twee than it was because she teaches herself to type with like just her four fingers. And I was like, amazing. She's going to become a champion just pecking away. And I relate to that because I never learned how to touch type correctly. So I type with like three fingers on each hand <laughs> as a professional writer. But um, yeah, no, what happens is she gets a job with this insurance guy named Louis, who is about 10 years older than her, maybe a little more. She's meant to be like 20. He's like late 30s or something. He is a World War II veteran. So that's kind of the age difference for 1959. And um, he is immediately your classic madman sexist who's like, oh, a sexy secretary. And there's this great scene with all these kind of like secretary girls like auditioning to work for him. But he quickly figures out that she is like a typing genius and decides that he is going to turn her into a champion and have her compete in these contests. And uh, is this premise silly? Yes, but no sillier than any number of other classic rom-coms. So um, we accept it at face value. Well, I think that 
within your little potted summary of the movie, there's like the problem with the film and what works about it. The problem being that the relationship never makes any sense. And like you, I was like, I don't buy that these people have any romantic interest in each other. Like it jumps forward in their relate, not in terms of like literally jumping through time, but like they're just like the relationship progresses way too fast. And you're just like, wait, what? I mean, to me, it's sort of a mix between these films from the 1950s where it's like the general roles they're displaying, it's both like really fun to watch and also it's like, it's so sexist, right? Like a lot of movies from the 50s are obviously really sexist, including ones that are great. But also I would say this falls solidly into the subgenre of like rom-coms where it would make much more sense if it was just kinky. Because if you really were like, oh, she loves to have this guy fucking belittling her and ordering her around, I'd be like, well, okay, if it's like a fetish thing, sure. But it's meant to be just sort of normal. And it's like, oh, he's learning to respect her. And I'm like, is he? Well, by the other token, I think what works about the movie is that most great rom-coms understand that the main characters just have to be complete fucking weirdos. Yes. Right? And... A lot of the ones we're seeing currently, I think part of the reason that they don't work, among other things, is that you have these characters who've been kind of, like, optimized to be likable. And also unrelatable. And it's like, I do not want to relate to these people. I want to see someone who is, like, the, you know, the owner of a hot air balloon company trying to assassinate their rival and then having sex with them. That is what we should be having in the rom-com genre. (laughs) And you can still, like, emotionally connect to those characters even if they're total freaks but the sort of classic golden age rom-coms like something like his girl friday i think that the main female character is really emotionally i think she's actually one of the more relatable characters from that era but she's also a complete weirdo and like you certainly feel for her emotionally very strongly but she and carrie grant are both it's rosalind russell i'm talking about she and carrie grant are both complete fucking lunatics in that movie right and that's nothing on bringing a baby where he and Catherine Hepburn are legitimately playing crazy people right like they're both playing nutcases and I again like so much of the pleasure of these movies is watching this like weird energy from both parties just like bounce off each other and I think the female lead in this is a little bit bland but the male character is just a complete oddball like him just being like i have this secretary and it is my passion in life to train her to be the champion of the speed typing contest i was like you know what sure i'll buy that like seems fine i also thought it was like stealth a really good depiction of male social circles as well because this guy has one friend who is married to his old flame who is an American who has an amazing accent. Because at first I was like, oh, is this one of these things where they've got like a local who's doing an American accent? But no, he is Canadian. But he's doing an amazing fake bad French accent for this. But he is married to a character played by Baroness Beo. And I was like, amazing, love her. But um, he has this one friend and he's like sucking this guy into gambling on Rose's typing thing but like the reason why this is happening is because like he has no social life because the only people he talks to are like other 1950s businessmen in a sort of distant jovial sexist context and like everyone in a frothy light-hearted 1950s rom-com he is warped by world war ii which is a very authentic detail to the genre yes 
And I think we should give some sort of historical context for some of the films that this is pastiching, because that plays into the sexism idea that we're talking about. Though there are many facets to the sexism of this movie, one of which is just like France as a concept. Yeah, like when I was watching this, I messaged you just being like, France's misogyny really hits different. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot. But the films that have that like are apparent to me as influencing this movie definitely feel like American Hollywood movies from the fifties, as opposed to French films. There are a couple shots that feel really Jacques Demy esque. He made the umbrellas of Cherbourg and many other movies, but it way more feels like a Hollywood rom-com from the fifties. And um, we have had many episodes of this podcast where we've talked about sort of, again, like golden age Hollywood rom-coms, which is like the 30s and the sort of first half of the 40s. Yeah, I've watched way more movies from that period than the 50s. Well, the 50s is a down period yes. for the romantic <laughs> comedy because basically everyone comes back from the war, right? And men are having this masculinity crisis. And we were just talking about this in our bonus episode on The Pirate, which you can find at our Patreon page, that like the noir and the musical really rise as genres while the romantic comedy is kind of going down, although it definitely doesn't vanish. And I think largely because like women had really taken on a lot of male professional roles while men were off in the war and then men come back and have to have their jobs back right and so then you get the 50s where like the ideal like image of woman in America is like a blonde lady in a house in the suburbs with like 1.5 children and a white picket fence that the dynamics of the rom-com shift from being quite progressive and egalitarian in the 30s and 40s in the sort of best movies anyway to being really sexist in the 50s it's really depressing actually because you're just like oh no like this was not good i find those films really depressing just like straight up i'm not sure what else to say about them like some of them have really good things about them and can be fun in certain ways but there's just a quality to the gender relations in that period where like women are really being degraded and not taken seriously. And this movie is kind of interesting because it both is referencing those movies, but then also trying to be like feminist, which doesn't (laughs) really work. I mean, it it definitely does feel Americanized because, you know, at this point, you know, you've got cool, glamorous Parisian fashion and like progressiveness and this is like right on the cusp of 60s so there are some elements that are a bit 60s aesthetically but then I'm like this is definitely sort of especially in terms of the costumes going for that American glamour a lot of the time I'm like okay I mean I understand this is a frothy fantasy rom-com so I'm not complaining about this but like I don't think rural France looked like this in the 50s and you've got all the women are like so beautiful and slim and wearing these very like slightly too formal dresses like it makes sense when they go to the really big contests and stuff that they would be wearing like a cocktail dress but they are very dressed up and I was like "Mm, okay (laughs) well it's because they're secretaries which is a fancy job I mean also part of what's interesting about this right is that like Audrey Hepburn is the fashion icon of America at this point and she's being dressed in Givenchy which is a French fashion line so there's a kind of feedback cycle that's coming back and forth here and like there are pictures of her up on the wall in the main female character's room and everything although 
she's not dressed yeah. in a particularly Audrey Hepburn-esque fashion, but she's obviously a figure who would have been like a big deal at this period. And she was the female lead in a lot of these rom-coms where she would be paired with like a middle-aged man. Yes. <laughs> Actually, kind of one of the things I was thinking of while watching this a little bit was Rear Window, which we did an episode on, because obviously genre-wise, very different, but it's one of these films where you've got like this 23-year-old woman and this middle-aged guy who's just disdaining her. But that is like commenting yes, on that. Yes, that's like an intentional thing and it's not romanticizing it, but I was like, oh, <laughs> that's like the smart version. Yeah, and she winds up being in charge in the end. Yeah. Of that movie. Whereas, I mean, you've listed a couple things in our document. Um, You've actually listed a couple movies I have not seen, like Funny Face and The Seven Year Itch. So perhaps you have some insight well, into how... Well, I actually don't have insight into those. I just listed those because I know that they were influences on this film from okay. the filmmaker. I have also shockingly seen neither Funny Face nor The Seven Year Itch. <laughs> but those and Hitchcock <laughs> movies were influences. But Hitchcock, I'm pretty sure what they actually mean is beautiful blonde women with narrow waists were were like an influence on this because tonally this isn't really Hitchcockian unless you're interpreting the central relationship much more darkly than the film suggests. But I could definitely see like To Catch a Thief in terms of like the aesthetics being an influence on this. I'm trying to think of other 50s romantic comedies that I've seen. I feel like there are a couple that Jack Lemmon did. They're just not as well known because they're not good but like kiss me kate is obviously a musical but has rom-com elements and that is a fucking depressing as shit from a romance angle i mean a lot of the great musicals are like a joy to watch from the angle of like this is a gorgeous musical and then like the central theme is like like, isn't it wonderful to live in a handmaid's tale (laughs) right i mean seven brides for seven brothers literally is about like a bunch of men kidnapping a bunch of women so that they can marry them like i mean oh my god so there are a lot of issues with a lot of these things but in terms of this film it just has this bizarre mix of like it's trying to be kind of progressive but it's too french is my (laughs) is my take i don't want to paint all of france with one brush because of course There are many women, for instance, in France who have made art that is pushing back against this stereotype. I mean, I just kept thinking about, like, the shit French women have had to deal with for, like, centuries watching this from, like, buffoons. But the Romandarie character, the um, male lead, is just, like, straight up hitting on her from, like, quite early. And she's, at first, is like, how dare you? He asked her to move in with him so that they can be training. And she's horrified. But then she clearly is like into him and wants him to be hitting on her. And I was like, what am I supposed to be taking away from yeah. this? Like, this is just There's a lot too, of like, negging. What? The thing is, it's like, there's a lot of movies where you kind of can get into that because like there's like sizzling tension and they've like figured out a way to make the dynamic not feel icky. And I wouldn't go so far as to say the dynamic is necessarily icky in this. Like the movie's fun, but... Even though, like, the latter half of the film has him kind of realizing the error of his ways and you get, like, a deeper understanding of why he's like this, it's just like, why is she even that into him? And I was like, are we meant to be viewing this through the eyes of, like, there's simply not that many prospects in 1959 rural France? Because, you know, obviously he is hitting on her at the office and, like, belittling her and just being, like, this harsh taskmaster while training her in her typing skills. 
Well, again, there's you just don't get enough of what their relationship is like to understand. Because as you said, if there's more of a, like, kinky thing, or even not, like, even that far, but, like, if you get more of an actual understanding of, like, the power dynamic at play, then that makes it feel more coherent. But the flirting starts so fast, and she's so rapidly excited by it. But... That also is conveyed in such quick shorthand that, like, you're not, it's just, it's just like, well, it's a rom-com, so we have to move to the point where, like, they're into each other, right? And I think that I've never seen her in anything before, this actress, Deborah Francois, and I think she's perfectly good in this movie. Like, the role is not that complicated, but she's very charming. But, like, she just doesn't have enough to do in terms of making the part or, like, her feelings about her situation complicated. So, like, he is more... I mean, I think Romain Dury, who who we'll talk about in a second, is a really good actor. And so that helps him a lot. But he also just has more to do in terms of, like, him being this, like, strange figure which I think is partially intentional on the part of the movie and partially not. Like, he's just such a fucking weird guy, and I don't think the movie completely realizes that, but that's part of what makes it kind of entertaining, is like, what is this guy's deal? Like, this is so strange. But I was way more entertained and engaged by it when it wasn't about the romance and was about, like, the typing. typing competition, <laughs> which is like so fucking bizarre. And the one really good emotional scene, I think, is between him and Veronese Bejo, which is like not the central relationship, right? So. I mean, she's just great. Love her. She's fantastic. Um, it's just sort of imbalanced, right? I mean, the thing is, right, also, the, the main character is playing this very perky character who's got that thing you see so often in light comedies where her key personality traits are being really clumsy and being flawlessly beautiful which is like it's like whenever you're like we need to give this girl a flaw she's gonna like fall over a lot while wearing a skirt (laughs) whereas as you said louis is a freak and is just like a lot meaner like he is explicitly introduced as kind of a mean person and the way Romain Dury's face is, is that he has this sort of natural sneer. So it's like he always looks like he's sneering, even when he's not actually sneering. I don't know about when you were in high school. I mean, we're the same age, to be clear. But obviously, we're growing up in different places. But L'Auberge Espagnole was a big thing in, like, my high school. Yeah, no, I literally had not heard of this movie. <laughs> okay, I think it may have literally just been that, like, one of the French teachers at my high school was like, we're gonna watch this movie, and then, like, everyone watched it, it became this weird, like, fetish object. It's just some, like, random, like, indie French movie that he made about, like, college students in a hostel, like, 20 years ago. I feel like there must have been sex in it, although I literally do not remember, because otherwise, why would we have cared? Like, that has to be the explanation. I remember nothing of this film, except that he was the lead. And we kind of were, like, mocking this thing, but also we all watched it. I I think we may have watched it even in school. I have no idea. But that was my first introduction to him. And he's a very famous actor in France. He was also the lead in um, the Jacques Audiard movie, The Beat That My Heart Skipped, which is a great 
film. And I don't think I'd seen him in anything in a while, but I was checking on his Wikipedia page and he's been like nominated for Cesar Awards, the French Oscars, pretty consistently. So even if those movies aren't necessarily making it to the US, he clearly is working in like quality stuff. But I was looking again on his Wikipedia page and looking at his IMDb and stuff and the pictures of him from, you know, red carpets or whatever, he's smiling in such a like lovely, pleasant way. And when he smiles in this movie, and I feel like in other things I've seen, he's like smiling without his teeth. And so he makes this face that looks really like sneering and unpleasant to great effect for his acting, but it totally makes him look like an asshole. Whereas his expression in these real life photos, he looks just like a completely different. I'm just and looking at I'm just looking at these pictures and I'm like, well, man. this is fantastic. This is fascinating. <laughs> right? And like he really looks like a different person. And I'm so intrigued by this. And like he's using this to great effect, but he really does have this sneer is the right word in this movie. And he's very attractive, but in this way where you're like, oh yeah, this guy's a jerk. And I have to read a quote from the Washington Post review oh my God, this of this movie. <laughs> oh my God. So this movie comes out 10 years ago. I don't know what was in the water when this review was written. Michael O'Sullivan is the name of this, this critic. There's a subtle subtext to female empowerment. Rose wants to be treated as an equal partner, not chattel, that lends the film a gloss of postmodernity. It's reinforced by Durie, who's Louis, though he keeps calling Rose Pumpkin condescendingly, is really more of a sensitive metrosexual than comparable heroes of the period. Not only does he have the soft, slightly androgynous features of a boy, but he can cook, too. Which, like, I, my jaw was on the floor. I, I mean, like, this does not describe... It. Like, first of all, no. the appearance of this actor is not soft or androgynous, Right. He's sort of got five o'clock shadow and he's visibly 10 to 15 years older than her. He's quite gruff. One of his key character points is that he is traumatized from World War II. And like, I think what this reviewer is actually getting at is that he's used to watching American movies where the men are big. And this is a small man. Like, he is a short and narrow-shouldered man. And the film is making no effort to disguise the fact that he is a short and narrow-shouldered man. He's still taller than the female lead. But I'm like, that's not... That doesn't mean he's like a soft metrosexual. Literally, his whole arc is him starting out as an extremely driven sexist. And then realizing he should be less driven and sexist. (laughs) Yeah, I was just... I was amazed. But it actually made me, like appreciate more the fact that he isn't all the things that you're saying in this movie, right? Like, he is not playing any of these things. He's playing, like, a man who is a, like, misogynistic asshole and, like, comes across that way. Again, like, I don't think the script of this movie is super deep and, like, a lot of what he has to do, especially when he's playing the more, like, romantic or emotional stuff, is just kind of be, like, yearning in a, like, very kind of straightforward way. But I do think he's very good. One of the funny things about their dynamic, if you're watching with English subtitles, is that he keeps using the French endearment, ma petite chou, to refer to Rose, which is, like, it literally translates to my little cabbage, which is just, like, a very common endearment in French. Which, like, he shouldn't be calling his employee this, but it's, like, one of the ways that he's sort of, like, it's a diminutive to her, and he's kind of 
you know, to meeting her from the beginning, but then it becomes kind of charming. And it's translated to pumpkin, which is in that quote that I just read. But like that is not there's just no English yeah. translation. I mean, of I that. wouldn't go it for pumpkin, exist. but like I mean, maybe like sweetie, but also sweetie's like too nice in this context. Yeah. Well, I was thinking like pumpkin is wrong, but I don't know what I would pick instead. And there's something about that that is giving you a lot of information about the dynamic between these people and the way that he says it kind of changes. I am not remotely fluent in French at all, but I studied it in college. And so I can pick up on like some little translation things that get wonky in the subtitles when I'm watching a French movie. And because he says this over and over again, it's like very obvious. And it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, right, if you don't speak the language and you're watching a translated film, like there is stuff that you're totally missing. And this was such like a major example of that. So yeah, basically I think the romance is, doesn't work. <laughs> That's my main critique of the film. And something we can say of many a rom-com and it's really on the audience's viewpoint to decide whether to accept this or not. Yeah, I mean, it was written by three men, which I feel like tells you a lot. But let's get into speed typing, because that was my favorite part of this movie, for sure. I love a niche concept. I'm always in favor of a very niche concept, especially if it's like a rando piece of history with no particular import to world events, but is something people are totally obsessed with, which in this case is they have to basically copy a passage that has like you know a difficult range of letters and words and stuff and they get timed and um the early contests are like a hall full of women in rural france and then she gets to these like really impressive contests in paris and new york yeah and again he's treating it so there's like she finds some pictures of him in his house of him like badly photoshopped photos of her I, I love I do um, love I'm sure there's like a Tumblr somewhere dedicated to the badly photoshopped oh, pictures people have of people's backstory in movies <laughs> I love it of him like competing in various athletic competitions when he was younger and that this is part of his again backstory is that like he has this competitive drive so he decides that he's going to channel it through her and that she's going to be his person. So they first have her do a competition where she's just doing it with her two fingers the way that she's taught herself. And then he's like, no, you have to learn how to type properly. And so he has like this whole new typewriter with like the colors for where your fingers are supposed to go. And they do her nail polish with like the correct colors. I really like that becomes detail. This visual motif in the movie I did too. And when she becomes famous because she keeps winning these contests, like other people are like painting their nails like her, which was very funny. But the like intensity of these women about these competitions was very amusingly depicted, I felt. And there is a full-on Rocky montage of, like, training <laughs> for this, which I found incredibly funny and charming. He's like, she needs to be physically fit, so he's, like, making her jog while cycling along in front of her and making her do all these exercises and transcribe books after she's been, like, moved into his home very salaciously. Yes. And for the big competitions, they have cast 
incredibly well these two women who just give great bitch face to be <laughs> yeah this film was the, like, like you want us to rivals. have like a we want to have friendly relationship between women no we are gonna have two brunette bitches who are like the enemies who are like glaring like these mean girls the first one is wonderful because she is just she's like the official sponsor of this typewriter company which is part of the inspiration for the title of the film there was like this typewriter that was called the populaire and this woman is like france's longtime champion and she is dating like the heir to this typewriter company and she's always getting interviewed and it's like you kind of are like oh this seems really overzealous and you're like actually this seems kind of legit for the 50s where it's like everyone is super obsessed with like the kind of veneer of like women doing stuff but this is an acceptable way because it's secretary so it's like there was so much fucking coverage of like air hostesses like people were fucking obsessed with that because like it's a career for women that's really exciting and makes you travel but you're hot and you're like available to men which is exactly the way that like secretaries were fetishized and also it's all about this sort of like new technology that's making the workplace easier so very 50s love that detail and this woman shows up in like this amazing like iridescent sort of skirt suit thing while the other women are in more frothy like feminine dresses for this like very formal kind of typing contest in a you know conference center hotel and then they have this very intense competition that rose wins and then she becomes the person who is like the model for this typewriter and becomes this big celebrity. And that's kind of like the breaking point for her relationship with Louis because he's like, well, I need to let her go. Like, I'm not good enough for her. She needs to like go and make it on her own and all this stuff. And meanwhile, she's having a great time. And I was like, yeah, maybe she should just leave him and like go and find new men. But she's like, no, I'm still pining for my middle-aged coach. <laughs> Well, she keeps calling him because she misses him so much. And also her new boyfriend, who is the typewriter heir, obviously sucks because he literally just dates whoever is the typewriting champion. Yeah. So he's like, a classic that's not gonna bad last. rom-com secondary love interest where it's like, he's not even positioned as love interest. To be honest, I was surprised he wasn't a psychopath. I was like, oh, he's actually okay. He's just like a medium douchebag and not like a real douchebag. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But before we get into the, like, climax of the film, not that there are any, like, spoilers to be had. Shocker! They wind up together. I want to talk about the real history. Yes. I also was looking this up and I was like, this is a great topic. And in particular, I loved the fact that this movie is like, this is like for beautiful secretaries. If you look it up, it's like, there's a lot of beautiful secretaries. There's also a lot of men. If you look up what speed typing is like now... It's all like tech bros at like tech conferences with scruffy little beers wearing like Warhammer t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is still a thing, although I didn't look into that as much. The first example, so I went on newspapers.com, one of our favorite websites. You can find anything there. And the first example I found of like speed typing contest, I just put that in, was from the Arizona Republic in 1912. Ooh. And... Someone named Clyde Bristow won the Remington Gold Medal at Lamson College. It was a business college. So that must have been where, like, this stuff was really proliferating at the beginning, right? Obviously, because that's where people are, like, that's where typewriters yeah. were. And the second place winner was also a man. 
And there's some information in here about sort of like how these contests are being held. And again, clearly a business college situation. There is another article from 1916 from Alberta, Canada about another speed typing competition. I love the idea that in like pre-World War One, everyone's like, we have to have a speed typing competition. So amusing. I'm sure all this is sponsored by typewriter companies, as indeed is the case in this movie, because of course they are trying to get their product out there. And then as you get to, like they continue on, in the 40s, they're actually are basically saying like, well, it's kind of outdated because electric typewriters now exist. So it's so much faster than it used to be. So like, we don't really need to worry about speed anymore like they're so much faster and it seems like the renaissance of this thing in the 50s is that they change the keyboard so i think this must have been when the qwerty keyboard appears intriguing because there (laughs) there is an article from lubbock texas 1956 with the headline speed typing contest in washington has both government officials and secretaries worried which like What's the worry? (laughs) For the next five or six months, 24 girls will be banging away at 24 typewriters in Washington, D.C. in a speed typing contest that has both government officials and secretaries chewing their nails. Twelve of the girls are typing on standard keyboard machines. The other 12 have been especially trained for four months to use the simplified keyboard invented by Professor August Vorjak of Washington State University. The results of the test may eventually junk the nine million standard keyboard typewriters in the U.S., so I don't know if the QWERTY typewriter already, because I didn't look this up, because I don't, because I didn't do enough research. But again, obviously this is being, like, they're being used for the benefit of the typewriter companies to, like, test out new models. The Dvorak keyboard layout was patented in 1936. I thought I'd heard of this. I was like, Dvorak keyboard sounds familiar. A faster and more ergonomic alternative to the QWERTY layout. So it did not get adopted. Well, <laughs> well so... So they tried and failed. Um, But in any case, like there's then a bunch of stuff going on in the 50s. So I wonder if what was happening is just that because secretarial like an office work is spreading so much post-war that all of these companies are kind of experimenting with what kind of machine is going to work better. And so that's why these become such a thing. There's one article that... (laughs) short article that I'm just going to read to you in full because it is so fun. Okay. (laughs) From the Richmond Newsleader in Virginia from 1954. So again, around when this movie takes place. Headline, 24 jittery women, two men start speed typing contests. It's written by Nancy King. A jittery group of some two dozen women and two men sat down to the preliminary event today in this week's In this weekend's speed typing contest, sponsored by the Old Dominion chapter of the National Secretaries Association, Mrs. Gaynell White, chairman, blew on a little tin whistle and adjusted her stopwatch for the practice session. Everyone started typing to limber up. One covered a whole page with, now is the time for all good men before the practice was over. Many of them had trouble with their new portables. They didn't know how the shift key worked. They wanted the gauge adjusted for their touch. Competition is always nerve-wracking, even if you have nothing to lose, said one of the two men. He certainly had nothing to lose. His name is Floyd H. Mehill, and he's editor of the Virginia Highway Bulletin. He even has secretaries in his office to do any exact typing that is needed. 
I just thought it might be interesting, he explained. This is some classic local news reporting. It's like, you gotta fill those column inches. <laughs> yep. Wiped his hands off again with his handkerchief. I'm used to an electric typewriter, Miss Jean Wall, who sells typewriters for a living, remarked. All you have to do is think. And then it, like, I mean, it's just, like, this was how people abused themselves. There's a picture of people grading the exams to very, like, sensible-looking middle-aged ladies. I mean, the scenes in this movie, they do film it like a sporting event where it's like people are, like, screaming and crying from the scenes. And it's like, I'm sure it wasn't actually like that, but it really is that amazing kind of subgenre of historical minor interest where it's like yeah there really was like fucking nothing to do and most people couldn't travel very much so everyone had like these weird hobbies and skills and my first thought after watching this movie is I would love to see a film about walking like competitive pedestrianism which was a thing in the late 19th century where people would literally like walk round and round in a circuit so it was like you were speed walking, but you weren't allowed to run. So you weren't allowed to like lift both of your feet off the ground at the same time. And it was like a long distance race and people would watch people walk around in a circle. You would get like a ticket and the ticket would allow you to like go to the arena for like 48 hours. So you could just like go in and leave and whatever. And there were like celebrity pedestrianists and stuff. And I'm like, how has there not been a comedy movie about this absurd sport? It really does seem like just prime material for development hollywood we are giving you this idea for free like you know and i actually felt like having again done like 10 minutes of sort of poking around about this that the movie kind of doesn't make enough use of the sort of weirdness of this historical thing i think the stuff to do with the like her promoting these typewriters is really good and there's a sort of montage of like her on magazine covers that's they've got a little great. band they've got some fun fake 1950s music in this which i enjoyed yeah but the speed typing thing is completely just taken for granted which i guess at the time they would have done that but again looking at this from very brief news articles i felt like i got a little bit more of the like historical and social context of why this was happening and that it was clearly very widespread a way for people to kind of make some money that just kind of weirdos would show up or weirdos are just kind of bored people right and just be like oh I yeah guess i mean I'll it's mostly like really normal people are competing but you're like obsessed with this one strange thing I mean, right. I guess like a good comparison would be Strictly Ballroom, the delightful musical that we did a while ago, because that yes. is about like a bunch of people who are obsessed with this really niche competition sport, ballroom dancing, and they're all like so weird and their entire lives are dedicated to this thing that like fundamentally doesn't matter to most people. And it's like taking over their entire lives and all of the comedy and the tragedy of that film is wrapped up in that idea. And I mean, this isn't that kind of movie, but I think you're right in saying like it kind of doesn't make the most of that element because it really is more like we're using this as a vehicle to make a relatively conventional sports drama rom-com mashup. Right. And that is the best part, which doesn't mean that the rom-com element doesn't have to be in there. Like that's clearly the kind of movie that they want to make, but it feels like they're kind of just stitched together in a fairly superficial way as opposed to trying to really understand like why these characters 
and this premise, right? Like, why do these things have to be in the same film? And especially the female lead, as we've said. It's just, like, we, we see her as a child, like, creeping down in the shop where... I mean, they live above the her dad's shop. And there's, like, a typewriter that she's sort of sneakily typing at in the night. But, like, why she becomes obsessed with this typewriter, like, we don't... No, I mean, her basic trait is she wants to just get out of there, which, like, fair yeah. enough. I mean, but, it kind of makes sense, you know. right? Because it's, like, the only tool she can think of to get out of there is to become a secretary. And when she has her first job interview, she's like, oh, I really want to travel and see the world. And everyone says it's so good to be a secretary. And, like, the insurance guy, love interest, is like, you do understand that you're just going to be in this small town and you're not going to get to travel and you won't just be a secretary. And, like, her only way of getting that job is to learn how to type, which she does. Right, but I wonder if that would be going through her head at the age when we see her with that typewriter. Isn't isn't she, like, basically the same age in that early scene? Oh, I must be misremembering. I, I think she's she meant to be just, like, the same age. She's an adult. It's played by the same actress. Okay. In which case, like, how does she learn how to type so fucking fast? Like, that also doesn't make sense. It's fine. It's, it's, it's fantasy. Fantasy. <laughs> But then, like, make more of the secretary thing, right? Like, this movie has zero to say about secretarial work. And, like, that, the economy of that and the, like, weird dynamic of that. Like, Mad Men, which you referenced earlier, is so insightful about that exact situation. Like, I was an assistant at, like, an internship in college. And I remember doing that and being like, I understand Mad Men now. <laughs> because, like, if you are a young woman and your job is to completely anticipate everything that an older man is, like, worrying about, you do develop this, like, weird fixation, right? And especially back in the day when women had no other opportunities and it was very common for secretaries to marry their bosses. Like, that's a whole thing going on that is really warping. And this movie just, like, doesn't understand that at all. It's just like, oh, she's gonna flirt with him and he's gonna see her bra strap. Woohoo! Like, you know. <laughs> we should talk a bit more about the fashion, I think. Because it is a very handsome-looking yeah. movie. Both in terms of, like, the design, like, production design and the fashion, I think. Yeah. I mean, as I said, there's... Definitely, they're kind of quite Americanized. Like, you know, a lot of films of this type, they are kind of going for the idea that she has, like, so many outfits and she always looks wonderful, which is, like, fine. Okay, it's a fantasy. Two things I really liked were there's a scene, like, part of the way through the movie where, like, they sleep together, which obviously is something that wouldn't happen in a film from this period. And uh, she wears, like, a sexy red dress, as women so often do in films. And it's, like, much more... It's, like, a very different style. It's, like, much slinkier and a bit more modern than, like, the stuff she's wearing before. She's wearing a lot of these, like, big skirts and that sort of thing. And also, um, Berenice Bayo's character, who is the main guy's ex-lover and is now married. Um, she's an interesting one because, like, she looks quite different from all the other women in this film. Like, she's got really obviously dyed red hair and a sort of shorter haircut. And she's married to an American, so she is actually living more of a sort of 
American suburban life, even though she's in France. And she is dressing much more like the 60s. She has these sort of boxy tops and she's wearing little leggings and trousers and stuff. And it's just like a really different vibe that's almost like, yeah, she's like looking forward a bit more and she's a bit edgier. Yeah, I thought the difference between their two looks was really well done and interesting. And also she's like 10 years older, so it's like she's more sophisticated, whereas the main character is the quintessential blonde ingenue. Yep. And I thought that I did think that the Berenice Bejo character was was well done. I mean, she doesn't have a ton of screen time, but and a lot of it is down to just her acting being so good. But it was nice and helpful to have a second female character in the movie who did feel like a human. <laughs> like, more of a human than the lead, probably. Um as I said, I think the one like really emotional scene in the movie that really works is like she has this sort of like intense scene with Romandery where he asks her basically like why she married this American guy instead of him. And she's like, well, you just hate commitment. And <laughs> that's pretty much it. I mean, it's kind of, you know, basic in some ways. Like they're talking about his sort of like, you know, PTSD from the war and whatnot. But, you know, the writing is good enough that the actors can really put their, like, muscle behind it and they're both, like, kind of crying. And, you know, it's 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 really good. And um, I appreciated it being in the movie a lot, but it also stuck out to me because I was like, this feels like it's from a different film. Like, nothing else in this movie has had this level of, like, weight. I mean, this was the director's first movie, relatively yeah. young, He's not like a major director, but he's made several films, including another one with Romain Dury. And um, he seems to like making sort of a variety. He's done a couple of thrillers. He's done another rom-com. And he's like plugging away. I mean, you know, Godspeed. It's tough out there. So if you, you can keep going. It's great. We should also mention there's a like bit where they pretend like they're engaged <laughs> yes i was like oh we're throwing in a little bit of a fake relationship trope in here are Which we <laughs> fun that sequence is really fun but again you get the sense of like they're kind of just like tropes that are kind of being piled in and as opposed to really developing the relationship yeah. also felt very american because it's like all these american rom-coms yeah. are like obsessed with christmas and this is all about you know introducing her to the family at christmas i mean I think the French also. Yeah, I mean, like you know, stuff. it's it's a Christian <laughs> like, country, but I was just like, it's another another kind of American uh, rom com trope. Yeah. All that being said, by like halfway through, I was kind of like, eh, like two point five stars. Like I don't know. And then I found the last sort of act, last third, like it it was very charming. And by the time they're sort of having their like big reunion at the end i was like i know this is manipulative but i'm being successfully manipulated and this is very pleasant Um, he's kind of like made his behavior better he's understood that he needs to be less of an asshole and she's allowed to be independent so it's tied up all right yeah it's a cute movie um and now we've also learned about competitive speed typing so thank you eileen for requesting this yeah i mean who knew who knew not i yeah, if you like romantic comedies, I don't think this is a masterpiece, but I found it very fun and it is streaming for free on the Roku channel in the United States. So And it's you know. not stressful. It was like No. When I Googled the film before watching, I just saw like a little description. It was like, oh, this is insubstantial and frothy. And I was like, excellent. I love 
the, the film I have to watch, I know that it's not going to be like tense or stressful. <laughs> kind of a relief sometimes. <laughs> I've still been catching up with some sort of like 2021 movies, many of which are very depressing international films. And I was like, how lovely to watch an international film that's like a silly movie <laughs> about romance. It was a nice change of pace. So yeah, again, sort of depending on your tastes, uh, you may enjoy this one a lot, I think. And our Patreon has a bonus episode up currently on The Pirate, starring Gene Kelly. This is definitely and Judy one of our best Patreon episodes. Amazing movie, very fun to talk about, very interesting and unique artifact of the 40s musical genre. <laughs> yeah, super, super fun. Does not have the issues that we were talking about in this movie about sort of like horrible sexism that starts happening in the 50s. Very interesting in terms of gender roles. So we recommend both that film and our bonus episode, which you can find at patreon.com slash overinvestedpodcast. And we would also greatly appreciate if you would leave us a rating or review on iTunes. A five-star rating is especially helpful with visibility. Gavia, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find me on Twitter at hello underscore Taylor. And you can find me at The Daily Dot. And you can find my work at Bustle. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at ML Davies. The podcast is on Twitter at OverinvestedPod. Our Tumblr is OverinvestedPodcast. And our website is OverinvestedPodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.